Welcome to another episode of Reading the Bible Responsibly. Hey listeners, thanks for being patient. Over the last couple weeks, our recording and production schedule has been a little more erratic than I'd like it to be, and so we haven't had consistent episodes. I'm going to try to get back into doing that better so you'll know when to expect these. I'm under no illusion that you're all out there just expectantly waiting for the next episode to drop as if you have nothing else to do. But I also know that consistency and reliability is important. So I hope we're back on track as of this point to releasing episodes every Monday and Thursday. We just finished up a series where we looked at words that we might misunderstand in Scripture, important words like rapture or miracle. And so we just talked about how we might read the Bible more responsibly if we understood certain words a little better. We're finished with that for now, but I do anticipate that we'll continue to look at interesting or difficult words in future episodes, just not part of a mini-series back-to-back. Today's episode, we're going to talk about verses that are missing from your Bibles. So have you seen the end of Mark, where your translation might say something like, these verses are missing from some of the earliest and most reliable manuscripts? Or you might see places where your Bible skips a verse number and puts something in the footnotes. So what's going on with these mystery verses? Are your translators trying to keep things out of the Bible they don't like? Or are there some other issues with the text? Go to Mark chapter 16. Maybe you can do that now, or maybe you're not in a position to look something up right now, but you can do it later. The first seven verses of that chapter have Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome at the tomb. They see a young man. Now, we might have a guess as to the identity, but Mark doesn't reveal that in his version of the story, and the women don't know who this is immediately. But this young man at the tomb tells the women not to be alarmed just because they found Jesus' body missing. He says that Jesus is risen and that these women should go tell the disciples this news. And then verse 8 reads, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Then things get tricky in your Bibles. The King James moves right into verse 9 and keeps going. The NIV reads, The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. And then the translation has a footnote. Some manuscripts have the following ending between verses 8 and 9, and one manuscript has it after verse 8, omitting verses 9 through 20. And the NIV then gives what we might call the shorter ending of Mark, which reads, Then they, the women, quickly reported all these instructions to those around Peter. After this, Jesus himself also sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Amen. The New King James footnote reads, verses 9 through 20 are bracketed in some of the Greek manuscripts as not in the original text. They are lacking in, and it gives some ancient Greek manuscripts. It lists Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus. You don't need to know those details right now, although nearly all other manuscripts of Mark contain them. The English Standard Version and New Revised Standard Version have similar footnotes acknowledging that ancient manuscripts differ on whether or not to include verses 9 through 20. So let's talk about what this means. So some people immediately read all that and they want to jump to bad motives. Like, oh, these modern translators want to get rid of stuff in these verses. They want to get rid of baptism. And never mind that there are plenty of passages about baptism that remain. 
And also, the absence of Mark 16 doesn't really affect the Bible's teaching on baptism. You could pull it out completely, and nothing would change. Also, never mind that Mark 16 also talks about handling snakes and drinking poison, things that most Christians thankfully avoid. What's the reason behind all this? If it's not bad motives, why is there all this complicated stuff about the ending of Mark? Well, you know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and we don't have any of the original copies of what, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, actually wrote. We have manuscripts that were copied and handed down. Now, it's important to say that as a whole, all these different manuscripts don't differ in super significant ways. In fact, the vast agreement between the major existing Greek manuscripts of the New Testament is a testament to the accuracy of what we have. But the fact remains that scribes and copyists are human, and so there are differences and even small errors that occur as manuscripts get copied and passed down. Now, the King James Version is based on some Greek manuscripts scholars call the Textus Receptus, received text. Overall, they're pretty good, but the King James was originally published in the 1600s, and since that time, archaeologists and scholars have discovered additional, older, and more complete Greek manuscripts that are likely more accurate versions of the original Greek New Testament. So then when additional translations show up after the King James, those translators are using those older and more accurate Greek manuscripts. In short, the Greek that was used for the King James had the longer ending of Mark. But then after the King James, we discovered manuscripts that were older, but they didn't have that ending. So translators since then have had to decide how to deal with the ending of Mark. The problem is, do you want to go with the oldest and likely most accurate manuscripts that don't have 9 through 20, or do you want to acknowledge the fact that most manuscripts, even if they're newer, do have it in there? This all has little to do with doctrinal or theological biases. It has everything to do with decisions about which Greek manuscripts to use to make the English translation. Let's look at another example. Look at John chapter 5. This is the story of Jesus healing a disabled person at Bethesda. Now, I don't know what translation you're using, but does verse 4 even show up? The New International skips from verse 3 to verse 5. It just has the number 4, but no text there, and has a footnote that says, some manuscripts include here, wholly or in part, and then it lists a little bit of verse 3 and a bunch of a supposed verse 4, but it's in a footnote. And the New King James, the English Standard, the New Revised Standard have a similar note that will say, other ancient authorities add, etc., Now, the twist here has to do with verse numbers. So the verse numbers were not in the original text. The verse numbers were added in the mid-1500s. But this is before the King James. So when the King James was first published in 1611, it used these verse numbers. But again, later translations, which used more reliable Greek manuscripts, were left with this numbering system. In other words, what if your Greek manuscript doesn't have verse 4? Right? They're looking at these older, more reliable ones, and the text that we would have called verse 4 isn't there. But you can't just renumber every verse after that. That would be so much work to say, oh, these verses that got put in in the 1500s, we have to renumber all of them from this point forward because maybe there is no verse 4. So we'll make verse 5 verse 4. I mean, you have to acknowledge, if you're a translator, that people who've read the King James are expecting a verse 4. But then you have to point out that that 
content of verse 4 probably isn't in the actual original text. So you have to footnote it like this. But again, this has nothing to do with biased translators removing verses from the Bible. They are trying their best to give you the most accurate version of Scripture. This matters because I've seen so many memes and articles about Bibles removing verses or trying to get rid of statements they don't like. Now, sure, each translation has its own philosophy and bias, but these translators are not just removing verses wholesale because they don't like them. You can be confident that you have an accurate rendition of God's Word for you, even with all the difficulties of manuscript transmission and translation. Your English Bible is enough to help you follow Jesus faithfully. Hey, thanks everyone. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Please continue to follow and subscribe and leave ratings and reviews and share these out with friends. I'm grateful for those of you who are posting online and asking people to come check this out. That means a lot to me. We're going to do some listener questions in the next few episodes. I've had several folks text or email in questions that they'd like us to cover on the podcast, so we're going to do that. And I'm looking forward to doing my best to address some of the concerns and questions and issues uh, that are on your mind. So if you have a question, or a topic you'd like us to cover on the podcast, please send that to me. I'd love to hear from you. And so you can expect the next few episodes to cover some listener questions. We'll see you next time here on Reading the Bible Responsibly.